And it's an incredible privilege to be with you guys. We've been praying for you. Um, I mean, even just in this partnership, as we partner together through NCMI, through that team, we are in partnership together in this region. And I'm telling you guys, we need Impact Rock in Erie and on the north side. Colorado, Denver, this region needs Impact Rock. We need you guys, us in Commerce City, with our church there, we're, we need you guys uh, uh, to be strengthened and to grow and to flourish in what God has called you to. Um, and so I'm very privileged to, uh, uh, to be with you guys today and be able to, uh, be able to share. Um, let's, go to, uh, let's go to Psalms 36. And what, what, what I'm going to uh, kind of focus on uh, this morning is, is just looking at the life of God. So let's go to Psalms 36, verse 5. It says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like, are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you the fountain of life, for you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And even with Crystal's word for you guys today, we actually didn't talk about what we're going to preach about. I have been preaching kind of on this lines um, uh, at Radiance. Uh, that's kind of been, been our been our focus as of late. But that word we, we didn't talk. We didn't we we didn't. Uh, uh, collaborate with the word that she got. God gave that to her. And I believe that is specific for you guys. Um, e- even this morning as, as we've gathered together in the season that God has taken you in. Because God wants his life, his zoe life. Because in the Greek, there are actually three different uh, words for life. There's bios, which is like our, our, our physical life. I, I think it's called psyche. I think it's a, a, called, called psyche. I don't know. I'm not, I didn't major in Greek or anything like that. But that, that, that's, our, um, that's our soul. That's like our emotion, our will, our thoughts, our mind. Right? And then there's the Zoe life, which is the uncreated life of God. The, the, the very nature of who God is, that life, the life of God, that's the Zoe life. And that is the life that God wants to flow through us as his people here in Impact Rock. When we gather and when we scatter. Right when we're in, when we're at work, when we're when we're living our lives, he wants his life to flow through us as his people, as his church, right? Because Impact Rock is not this brick and mortar and drywall, right? It isn't. It, it isn't an organization. It isn't the leadership. It isn't the five hundred one c three. It's not any of that stuff. Impact Rock is is you guys, is us here today, you and me. We are the church. Is that right? I'm sure that's not anything new. And even, even now, I'm not going to be sharing anything new with you guys. I'm pretty sure you have heard everything that I have to say. Right? I, I, I don't have anything new under the sun. I don't have this amazing revelation that I'm going to bring. I'm actually not the best orator. I'm not the best communicator. And I need God to be working through me even now. Is that all right? Is that good? But God wants his life to be flowing through us, guys, in our gathering times, in our families, in our lives, his life to flow through us. 
right? And he wants his life to flow through us and bring us deeper into him. He is calling us into him. And what does that look like? I'm going to look at two pieces of scripture. And even, even when we look in the Old Testament, oftentimes it is such a spiritual picture of our current natural. Does that make sense? The Old Testament brings, brings a, a, some spiritual significance to us now. So let's look in Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, verse 17 says, The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the deserts into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. What God is saying right here is I will take the desert and the desolate where there is no life and I will bring life. And Isaiah 58, 11 through 12 says the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land. Sometimes it feels like we are living in a sun scorched land in a spiritual desert, especially here in Colorado. Sometimes it feels like things are so dry. But what has God said? The Lord will guide you always. always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old age foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets, and dwellings. God wants his life to flow through us, to flow through you, impact rock. And where there is the life of God, addictions are broken. Sin is defeated. There's increased growth and there's increased impact and there's increased influence. And his kingdom comes where there's life. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23 says this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to, to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vig vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. From it, from our hearts, flows the springs of life. And God wants to flow His life, not just our life. Not just, not just the life that we have, you know, in these, you know, 70, 80 years that we have on this earth. Not, 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 just, not, not, not just that. He wants His life to flow through us and to flow through our hearts. Every single one of us. And John 7. Sorry, I have a lot of scripture. I usually preach with... A ton of scripture, because I really hope it's more of God's words rather than mine. But John, John 7, verse 37 says, on the, last day, uh, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom, whom those who believed in him were later received. 
Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build a foundation for what we're going to jump off here. And one of, the, one of the most important foundations that I'm laying right now is that Jesus is the life. Jesus is the giver of life. I mean, we, we could talk about life and releasing the life of God, and, and we're, we're going to be getting into digging wells here pretty soon, but we could talk all about that stuff. But unless we have this foundation that Jesus is the life, Jesus is the river of life, Jesus is the giver of life. If we do not have that foundation, we're going to be we're going to misstep and we're going to fall. Jesus is our foundation and he is the life. I'm the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the father except through me. Jesus is the life. And he is he is extended to this from what he did on the cross. He has extended. He has given us this life freely. I mean, I love, I know you've probably heard this before, but it's, it's so true. The gospel is not about making bad people good. It's a bit about making dead people alive. That is the truth of who Christ is. Christ did not come, die on the cross, endure, endure everything that our sin could throw at him. He did not do that so that we could be good people. He didn't do that so that we could be good. He didn't do that so we could get our lives together. He came so that we could live in Him. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not yelling. I'm just excited. Is that all right? <laughs> Jesus is the giver of life. And when we walk in the life of Jesus, when we walk in the life of Christ, we begin to walk in His freedom and we begin to walk in His healing. God is still a God who heals, heals today. God is still a God who breaks chains and frees us from the bondages of sin and death. I mean, if there's, well, we could probably just stop right there because that's the most important stuff right there. It is all in Jesus. He is the giver of life. And sometimes we, when we're walking so defeated and so beat down, what we need to do is press into Him. He is the giver of life. And then I love this picture of Australia of the Australian farmers. Everybody kind of familiar with the, the Australian ranchers? Um, so in Australia, it's, a, um, it's this continent that's a single country, and around the coast of Australia, it's not very big, but around the coast is where all the life is, where all the cities are and where um, all that, all, all, the, all, all the stuff kind of happens. And then in the middle is called the outback, right? It's a big, it's a desert wasteland pretty much, right? Um, and uh, uh, there, in the outback, there's not much there, but there are a significant amount of, of farmers and ranchers, right? Cattle, sheep, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and... Uh, uh, there was an American, I think, the, the first story I kind of heard of heard of this. There was there was an American who, who came and he was visiting some of the ranchers and and uh, he noticed that there was just this wide open space just for miles and miles and miles. And he came to this ranch and he was like, where's all the fences? Like you need you, like, dude, you're going to lose all your sheep and all your all your cattle because you need to build up fences to keep them to keep them in. Otherwise, they're just going to wander off into the abyss. 
right? And the rancher said, I don't have to build fences. All I have to do is build uh, is dig fresh wells, and the cattle's not going anywhere. And that's actually what we're called to do, is we're called to dig fresh wells, not build fences. Too many of us, just the American culture, we want to build fences, and we want to keep people in, right? When we get in a job, what do we want to do? We want to look for those fences to build around us to give us some job security, right? We want to, even in the church, we want to build fences so that, so that people stay in, right? I even read this book. Now, it's a good book. I don't want to bash it, but a book called Sticky Church of how to make your church sticky so that when people come, they don't leave. <laughs> we like to build fences, but God hasn't called us to build fences. God has called us to dig fresh wells, because there, there's a pretty, I mean, wells have a, a pretty big spiritual significance, right? A well is an access to a much larger source that otherwise would never be discovered without you digging that well, right? You could actually be uh, in the middle of the desert, right on top of a massive reservoir of water, right on top a massive amount of a huge life source, but unless you have a well dug, you're going to die of thirst. And a well is also not subject to circumstance. It doesn't matter if it's, it's a time of famine or a time of harvest. It doesn't matter if it's the winter, the summer. It doesn't matter the area. That well and that water and that life source underneath is not subject to any circumstance on the surface. There could be wars and famine and... Uh, uh, some sort of apocalypse or anything, anything like that, and that well is, can still get access to that life source. It's not subject to any circumstance. And every time we dig a spiritual well, guys, we open up a portal. We unlock those hidden resources of heaven. And how do we dig wells? I think it's much more simpler than and what we might even try to make it out. What, how, we, how we dig wells, guys, is we spend time in His presence. We spend time in His Word. We spend time in worship. We spend time in prayer, right, and meditating on Him. All of that, guys, begins to dig wells. Even this morning, as we were worshiping together, corporately together, there were wells being dug. As we're spending time in His presence and worshiping Him, we dig wells. And in Genesis... Go to Genesis 26. And in Genesis, we see that both Abraham and his son Isaac were diggers of wells. They liked to dig wells. And I always thought it was so, in, in, um, so weird that God chose the Middle East, right? That way, that almost, I mean, I don't know who in their right mind would choose the Middle East to be the birthplace of civilization. To be the place that God births his people. In the Middle East, I'm like, God, have you seen the Rocky Mountains? It's gorgeous. I mean, go to the coast, both East Coast and West Coast. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing, right? What about the Caribbean? Or what about, what, what, what about like the, some of the areas in China and Japan? It's gorgeous. God, why did you choose the Middle East? And I really, truly think it's this, it's this thing of wells. It's this, it's, it's this, um, this thing that we have to get in understanding the importance of a well and digging a well to get access 
to that life source. If we read in Genesis, Genesis 26, verse 1, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar and Abimelech, king of the Philistines, the Philistines. Verse 2, And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. Now there was, an, there was an, a famine that was coming, and times were tough, and they were going to run to Egypt. Egypt has the Nile River, right? They were going to run run to, the, uh, to a place where there's help and there's immediate, uh, immediate thing. There, there's a, we have a chance there because there's the Nile and they're, they're still doing all right despite the famine. But God said no. I mean, imagine that. No, stay in the desert. It's a famine. That's where I want you. <laughs> Sometimes that could feel like us. Seriously. Where we are, got like, God, this is, this is not going how I thought this was going to go. Right? I, am, I feel like I'm in a desert. I'm going to run off and go to a river. But God says, no, stay. Right? And, I, and God blesses Isaac for that obedience. Right? He says, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you, uh, to, for, you uh, for to you and your offspring. I will give these lands. And God blessed Isaac because of his obedience. And then let's skip down to verse 12. Isaac really blows it in between there. He was a, he was a real jerk. But uh, uh, he, let's go on to ver- verse, verse 12. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Now remember, this is a time of famine. Right? And because of his obedience, God blesses him. Gen- gen- uh, uh, verse 12 again. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants. So the Philistines envied him. Verse 15. Now the Philistines had stopped up, had stopped and filled with earth the wells of his father, uh, of his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Verse 16. And Abimelech said, said to Isaac, go away from us. For you, are, for you are much mightier than we. Okay, then from there, Isaac moves on. Now, that, that's really got to stink, too. I mean, he is, he is, he is killing it. I mean, he is, he, he is reaping a hundredfold. I mean, he's just having a, 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 a very fruitful time here. But then the Philistines come, stop up his wells, and make him, make him move on to a different place. Right? And we see the first thing that Isaac does when he moves on, is what do you think? First thing he does is he digs a, he, he, he digs a well. Well, he unplugs the well that Abraham had dug in the past, and then he digs several more wells. So let's go to, let's go to verse 17. It says, So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerard and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug up in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped up uh, after the death of Abraham. And he gave them names that his father had given him. Verse 19. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found the well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with, quarreled with, quarreled 
with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name, uh, so, so he called the name of the well Esek, because, because they contended with him. Verse 21. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called that name Sitna. And verse 22. And they moved, and he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, 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 uh, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in this land. Such an incredible story about digging wells. And even there we see contention, strife, and separation as he quarreled with the people in that land. And then they would stop up those wells and everything like that. And even just what I want to go over really, really quickly is what are the, some of the Philistines? What are some of the things that plug up our wells? You know, the wells that we dig, the wells that we, that, that, that we dig when we spend time in His presence and, we, 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 uh, uh, and, and we, we get fed from His Word and everything like that, what are some of the things that can stop up those wells? The first thing is sin and religion. Undealt with sin is a big plugger of wells. Just shoveling under the, just managing your sin, right? I love what, what, what Tyron Daniel says is Christ didn't come and die on the cross so that we could manage our sin. He came so that he could kill it. And when we don't deal with sin, that, be, that, can, that begins to really plug up those wells. That access to those life, that life source, that access, that, that tapping into the life of God, when we have that undealt with sin, it begins to plug them up. And then very similarly, in the same way, religion begins to plug those that up too. Even with what I said before, religion tries to make bad people good. That's the purpose of religion. Right? And religion says, this is what you have to do to get to God. But what Jesus said is, this is what I'm going to do to come to you. And that's the difference about what we believe in religion. Religion is, here's the pathway to God. The gospel is, is here, how, here is how God, our King, came to us. Religion says, this is all the stuff you have to do. Christ says, this is what I have already done. And when we, when, when we slip into this religion, and guys, sin and religion work hand in hand. They work hand in hand with one another. Religion will take your sin and bring so much guilt and shame. And by, by trying to follow a religion or trying to, try, trying to do good, you will slip into sin. They work, they, they work together. And we have to kill sin and we have to kill religion. Because they will stop up our wells. They will plug them up. Sometimes we think sin and religion are opposites. I think they're almost the same thing. Undealt with sin and religion. The next one, a big, a big stopper of our wells, is tradition. Tradition. I mean, even changes. I mean, we change is tough for, for everybody except those who want the change, right? Ch- change, is, change is always difficult. But guys, the very thing that happened when we encountered Christ, what happened? We changed. Something changed. And that very thing that we celebrate and we rejoice, change, all of a sudden can really trip us up 
when, uh, when, when we prevent and when we resist God taking us forward in Him. Because, guys, God is constantly making us and turning us more and more like Himself. We are constantly growing and maturing to be more and more like Christ. And we will never get there. And also what that's saying is we are in this constant motion of changing to be more like Christ. Tradition begins to stop change. Even, even moving forward as a church, tradition stops up those wells in local churches and prevents us from moving forward in what God has called us to. And I know it's tough, and I know we like our traditions. Even with, like even uh, my wife, Crystal's from South Africa. I don't know if you heard it in the accent. Probably, there's probably a lot of South Africans who... who uh, who minister in here, but uh, so it's probably, probably, probably pretty recognizable. Same with us, right? Um, and uh, and she's from South Africa, and she had a lot of they have a lot of different family traditions than I grew up with. One, because they're a different family. Two, it's a different culture. It's a different nation. And so then, what we're trying to define is okay, what what family traditions do we want to form? You know, and then we have this, and a lot of my family's here. Some of her family's here. It's been difficult. But if we allow tradition to have the last say, it will stop up our wells, guys. Sin and religion, tradition. Another thing is fear. Fear stops up our wells. Second Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, but of power and love and self-control. Fear is never from God. And when we buy into that fear, that begins to stop up our wells. We begin to get fearful of what could happen. We begin to get fearful of, of, of whatever, right? And all of a sudden we can clam up. We stop moving forward. We, we're, we're afraid to make decisions. Whenever we do make decisions out of fear, it's dangerous. We can see that in all through history. When we, make, when we begin to function out of fear, really only death follows. But when we are living in the life and walking in the life of God, walking in the life of Jesus, there is no fear. Sin and religion, tradition, fear. And another one, it's a big one, a lack of generosity probably plugs up our wells more than we could, more than we like to admit that they do. I love this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-9. It says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely as he has given to his righteousness endures forever. A lack of generosity plugs up our wells. And guys, in times of hardship, if I could just say this, and I, and I feel a lot more free. I mean, these, these elders, uh, um, uh, Mark, Andy, where's Andy? Is Andy here? Yeah, uh, and, and Brad, they could correct anything that, I, anything that I say. So I just want you to know that I'm coming in, in complete submission 
to them and their leadership, and they could correct anything, um, anything I say. They probably already have a list that they're getting ready to know. Um, but, 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 but also with, with that, knowing that there's that, 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 that safety net, I also feel really free because, uh, um, because this isn't my local church. And uh, <laughs> so, so if, I, if, I, if I could just be a little free. Guys, in, in times of hardship, when times get tough, that is not the time to hold back. That is the time to press in, right? When, when, when all of a sudden, oh, we have all these bills. Oh, we're beginning to almost feel like we're suffocating, whether we just lost our job or whether well, we're going through a tough time. We had unforeseen expenses on the house, whatever it is. Guys, those are the times to press in. Because when we tithe, even just looking at that, that pattern that God gave us of tithing, when we tithe, we are, we are sowing protection over everything that we have. And that's what the scripture says. I don't have that on. I'm just kind of shooting for it. I'm, I'm just going for it now. Hope that's okay. But guys, when, when, whenever we endure hardship, that's the time to press in and sow. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That's the, that's the time to press in. That, that, that's like saying to, to a farmer, uh, oh, it's, you know, your people are hungry. Go and eat your seeds so that you can't plant anything the next season. Guys, in times of hardships, it's, it's, it's time to press in. And times are tough. Times are tough for most people. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Right? Now's the time, guys, to press in. Be generous because a lack of generosity will, will plug up our wells. God has not called us to be hoarders. He hasn't called us to be hoarders. Definitely has not called us to be financial hoarders. He has called us to pour out. lack of generosity plugs up our wells sin and religion tradition fear a lack of generosity and here's another big one probably the biggest one offenses 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 you us taking offense will plug up our wells the number one reason why people left I think people have left the church that I lead and probably this church and probably most other local churches around, around our region is because they get offended. That is, that is the enemy's bait that he uses. That is the enemy's tool that he uses to limit our impact and to plug up our wells. Even just simply the Matthew 28 model. Everybody know that? When somebody sins against you and when somebody offends you, what are you to do? Go, go, go to that person and talk to them about it. But when that happens to us, what do we actually do? How often is that person the first person you talk about your offense? Talk to our spouses, talk to our kids, talk to our neighbors. And then finally, after we've gotten it off the chest, oh, I'm good now. I'm good. I'm good. But you just spread that venom all over the place without even knowing it. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Offenses, guys, if we just, that, that is, that, that, that ravages the church. And guys, we just play right into the enemy's hand. Guys, and that's part of, we need to guard our hearts. Especially with offenses. Guarding our hearts is giving our hearts to our king and allowing him to replace our heart with his. 
And we need to guard our hearts, guys, especially around this thing of offense. I think that there are just simple things we could do. Let's just assume the best in people. Can we just assume the best in people? When somebody when 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 somebody messes you up, or you what 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 in the world did you see how they said that or what they said or how they did or whatever? Can we just assume the best until we at the very least get some more information? Sometimes we just fly off the handles before we even let's just assume the best in people, guys, especially in our family. And I know those like people in our family and our communities we're closest to. That's who we get hurt the most by. I understand that, and that requires us to be vulnerable. And leave ourselves open to be hurt. But let me tell you something. It's gonna, something's going to happen. Somebody will hurt you. In this community, somebody will hurt you. 90% of the time, it will probably be Mark. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we will get hurt, guys. When we're vulnerable like that, we will get hurt. But it's so much more important how we respond to that than that actually happening. Because it will happen. It's a part of life. And if you want to guard yourself so that you never get hurt, you're not going to get anything from anything. We've got to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Sin and religion, tradition, fear, a lack of generosity, offenses. Those are all the things that block up and stop up our wells. But then also lo- lo- looking at looking at what happened, what, what, what almost prevented them from reaping out of those wells. When they, when, when they had those, those fights, we had the contention, strife, and separation. A couple of the things that I think are the main enemies of us digging wells now are complacency and apathy. Complacency and apathy not only will plug up wells, but they'll straight up prevent you from digging wells. Complacency says, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter. Nobody will notice. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just me, I'm just lowly me, blah, blah, blah. It's complacency. Apathy says, who cares? Who cares if I do? Because God just doesn't care what we do. He also cares how we do something. Second Chronicles 25, 1-2. I'm going to look at the story of two kings. We're going to look at two, king, uh, two different kings that are chronicled in Chronicles. Um, Second Chronicles 25, 1-2. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's good. He did what was right in the eyes of the uh, eyes of the Lord, yet not with the whole heart. He did what was right, but he didn't do it with his whole heart. And really, what we come to find is is uh, Amaziah actually gets a. Uh, I think it was King Joash of Judah comes in and wipes him out. He just doesn't. God just doesn't care what we do. He cares how we do it. And in Second Chronicles thirty one. 2 Chronicles 31, 20 through 21 says, Thus Hezekiah uh, did throughout all of Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. Before the Lord his God. Sounds very similar to the last one. But then it shifts in verse 21. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law 
and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and he prospered. I would say the how is more important than the what. And what I think God wants to do is he wants to, he, he, he wants to obliterate and remove that complacency and that apathy. Who cares? Our king cares. It doesn't matter what I do. It, it is incredibly important what we all do. Because together, we have an inheritance together. God has put us together in a community, in a partnership together that we have with our churches and with, our, with, with us as a people. He's put us in partnership together. And guys, we have an inheritance together. And we need to be, we need to be mindful that what we do is sowing into the eternal, not just the physical. We have an eternal inheritance together because God has put us together. It is incredibly important what we do. And who cares? I care. And your neighbor should care. <laughs> God wants to remove that complacency and that apathy. And he wants to stir up a heart of passion. Nothing is sustained in God without passion. God wants to stir up passion inside of us this morning where there's no room for complacency and apathy who cares and it doesn't matter are lies of the enemy just like we saw with Isaac warring against um, those, those Philistines and those herdsmen and stuff in the same way complacency and apathy are warring against us because I'm telling you, there's a temptation just to give in. Just to chill out, not to continue to press forward. But God wants us to continue to press forward and to dig wells, access the life of God, and move forward. The gates of hell will not prevail. God has called us to be an offensive people. Not offensive people. Maybe, sometimes maybe offensive. But an offensive people. Where the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell are what we're coming against. We're not the ones who have the gates that sit on the top, you know, just chilling with our arrows or whatever. No, no, no. We are the ones who are coming at the gates. The gates of hell will not prevail. God is wanting to stir up that passion inside us and dig fresh wells, guys. That is the responsibility of us. We are to dig fresh wells. That's just not Mark's job. Or the elder's job. We, that is what God has called us to. <clears throat> Digging fresh wells and accessing, guys, the life of Jesus. Accessing that life. The life that he paid for. He paid for on the cross. All of our sin was laid onto him. All of it. All of our junk. All of our selfishness. All the rotten things that we've done all the rotten things that have been committed against us, all of that Jesus took on the cross and paid for it. And then he defeated that sin. He defeated that death. And he rose again. And how he now gives us that same life. We can't cheapen that, guys. We can't cheapen that. Sometimes even, even being somebody who's grown up in a pastor's home, Seeing that, having those pressures, I understand all that, right? But seeing that and walking that, sometimes it's easy to take that for granted. 
Guys, we can't cheapen that. I don't care how long you've been a follower of Christ. I don't care how long you've been a believer or a part of the church or anything like that. Guys, we can't cheapen it. We can't take it for granted. Christ paid for it. and He paid everything on the cross. I mean, we can never say that Christ doesn't understand. Let me tell you something. He does. Because anything that you've gone through or experienced, any junk that's been done to you, any junk that you have done to others, Christ felt on the cross. He felt every bit of it. Every bit of pain that you've been going through for whatever situation that you've been in. He felt on the cross. Every bit of it. We can't cheapen that, guys. That cost was great. And our King, our Lord, our Master paid it. John 10.10. I'll finish with this scripture. John 10.10. A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy comes to do. Steal, kill, and destroy. Stop up our wells. Block us up. Cut off our access to to, to our king. That's what the enemy comes to do. But, But I came so that you might have life and life more abundantly. And this is what Christ has given to us. So that we could walk it. We could walk in that freedom. We could walk in that healing. Walk in the life of Christ. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, a ride on the hay bale or something. I don't know. It's not going to be easy. This life that we are called to walk and to live is not easy. But the good news is that Christ has already done it for us. That's the good news. So I believe God wants to stir up that passion inside of us. He wants us to dig fresh wells accessing that life of Jesus.